All right. Is anybody excited this morning to continue and actually finish our series on Take Your Life Back? I am too. I'm very privileged to share with you this morning because today we're going to hit it uh, where it's going to hurt good. It's going to be so good for us. Man, as I was getting ready for this this week, and uh, this, is, this, this message actually is the fourth and final message in this series, but I think it's the first one that I got whenever we, uh, I was starting to study and pray about this series. And so it's going to be the finale, but it's going to basically cover a lot of what we've already seen and take us even further. Today we're going to talk about taking our future back. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, we got to go back to the future. <laughs> Not really. Okay. Not going to go back to the future. We're going to press on into the future. Amen. Uh, Let's just go into our theme scripture. This is the scripture we've been reading all month, and this is our Take Your Life Back scripture. It's out of Joel chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. we We saw quite a lot of faithfulness this week, amen, right? The rain he sends. Once more the autumn rains will come as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. The Lord says, come on, I want us to read that part together. I will give you back. Come on, let's read it again. I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the cutting locusts. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. We've been learning that Jesus came, yes, to forgive. Jesus came, yes, to save. But a lot of times we don't understand the magnitude of that salvation. Jesus came to redeem. Everybody say redeem. Redeem Redeem means to take back. To take back. Jesus literally took us back from darkness and back from the power of sin, death, and hell through the cross. And The rain that this scripture refers to is representative, it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring and the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we've been learning that with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there's a great promise. What is that great promise? Restoration. That's right. Come on, say restoration. Yes. First time in four weeks that somebody remembered the answer to that one. All right. (laughs) Very good. It's time to recover what the enemy stole from us because of sin. It is time to take our life back. Amen? Week number one, we talked about taking our soul back, and we covered the topic of boundaries, right? And and I know that we've all been working on our boundaries, right? We've been working not without challenge on our boundaries, right? How many of you have made progress with your boundaries? Glory. All right. Me too. Then the second week, we talked about uh, taking our time back, and we talked about the subject of margin, right? Margin, which is basically a boundary on our time, and I know that you've been working hard on that. And then last Sunday, we had a good time talking about taking our relationships back, and we talked about love, right? Now, today, we're really kind of going to come full circle back to boundaries as we do part four. This is the finale, Take Your Future Back. Like I said, we're going to come back to where we started because this whole um, truth, this whole, these whole principles about boundaries kind of cover the whole topic of taking our life back. And let's just remember some things we learned about boundaries. So I want you to say this with me. You said it a month ago, and you're going to say it again today because it's going to stick, all right? 
Come on, say, my soul is my property. Come on, tell somebody near you, your soul is your property. Uh-oh, come on, let's take it a step further. Come on, let's say, my soul is my responsibility. Now turn to somebody and get that good pointer finger going and tell them, your soul ain't my responsibility. It's your responsibility. All right. See, we've got to take responsibility for our own soul because in reality, when all is said and done, at the end of the day, no, not at the end of the day, at the end of life and in eternity, we're going to stand, each one of us, before Almighty God, and I am going to give and you're going to give an account for your own soul. And nobody else is going to be able to account for it. And so we must take possession and responsibility of our soul, correct? See, more than anything else, we learned that boundaries exist for self-control, right? A lot of times we see boundaries as the way to control other people, but how many of you know that doesn't work? Nor is it the plan of God. The Bible never teaches us about other control. It only teaches us about self-control. we got to have soul control, and that's what boundaries are for. And because boundaries are all about my own soul, letting things in and out of my own soul, controlling my own soul, the first boundaries are really within me. The first boundaries are really on the inside of me and on the inside of you. So we want to keep, right? Come on, somebody. We want to keep the, we want to keep the Holy Ghost in and we want to keep all the other ghosts out. All right. We want to keep the fruit of the Spirit of God in and we want to keep all the fleshly, worldly fruit out. We want to keep some things in and we want to keep some things out because boundaries, right, are like a gate, They're not an unscalable wall, impermeable, that things can't get in and out. But they're like walls with gates, which we, by our own volition, right, we open and close to let things in and let things out. And we want to keep the good in and keep the bad out, right? That's what boundaries are all about. And so, of course, we need, for our soul's health, we need boundaries for our eyes, right? We need to determine what we let in and out. We need boundaries for our ears. Come on, does anybody need a boundary for our mouth, right? But the most important soul boundary, which is where we're going to go today, is the gate in our heart. The gate in our heart, okay? Which we open and close. And rather, you've ever taken responsibility for it for yourself or not. Your heart is your responsibility. Your heart. You say, so-and-so broke my heart. Okay, I get that. But in reality, the brokenness or health of your heart is no one else's fault or responsibility. It's mine. Right? Okay, so Proverbs, let's see, Proverbs 14.10 says, Each heart knows its own bitterness. And no one else can fully share its joy. Now, rather, you've said this out loud. I know we've all thought this. Nobody understands me. Nobody can feel what I feel, right? 
And maybe you've been told, that's not true. I feel you. I can understand you. They lied to you. (laughs) No one really can know, really know what you're feeling. Maybe they've been through something similar, and I know we can identify with each other on things, but no one can really know except you and the Spirit of God on the inside of you can really, really know what's in your heart. Only you can know that, and only you can determine that. Um, let's see. So, again, I, I just want to say again, let's not expect others to know what's going on in our heart, Okay. Go ahead and get rid of that expectation. One of the things we talked about last uh, Sunday was false expectations, right? Don't ever expect somebody to know how you feel, right? Oh, Lord, I can't get many amens. Because don't we want, I wish you could, just, you could just feel what I feel. You could just know. Well, again, I'm not saying that we can't identify with each other, but In reality, the only one who really, really knows what's in there and the only one who can determine what's going to happen in there is you and the Spirit of God. Amen? Are we okay? All right. Before God, I am 100% 100 responsible for my own heart, and you're responsible for yours. So we're going to memorize a verse today. Is that all right? It's a very easy one, but I want you to memorize it and remember it for the rest of of your life, all right? So we're going to put it up there on the screen. We're going to read it a few times together, and then I'm going to ask them to take it off the screen because we're going to say it without looking, all right? Are you ready? Let's read it. This is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Ready? All together. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Can we do it again? Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Think you can do it closing your eyes? They can leave it up there for those that don't think they can do it yet, all right? If you think you can do it already without looking, just close your eyes. Ready? Guard. All right, let's get rid of it. Ready? Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Did the Bible just say that my heart determines my future? It sure did. Come on, tell somebody again. You got to take your future back. And it starts in the heart. All right. (sighs) Has anybody ever thought or said this? Is there even really even a future for me? Well, let me tell you. Of course there is a future for you. We just... Progress one more second into the future, two, five. By the end of this service, we will be another 30 minutes into the future. Is there a future for you? Yes. Absolutely. Some people feel like, is there even a future for me? Well, I I mean, practically speaking, I I hope you're here for a lot longer. But what's going to happen in that future greatly depends on you. Uh Uh-oh. If I want to take my future back, the first thing I've got to take back is my own heart. Because it determines the course of my life. Come on, I'm going to give you three phrases here that's going to help somebody this morning. They all kind of say the same thing, but... I want you to hear it three different ways so it can stick. Are you ready? These are in your, um, your outline, in your bulletin, by the way, if you're following along in your outline. My heart determines my course. 
My heart determines my course. Your heart determines your future. Your heart determines your future. And this one, I think you're really going to get it with this one. Are you ready? Whatever you allow in your heart becomes your leader. Just heard some people speaking in tongues on that one. Come on now. Whatever you allow in your heart becomes your leader. It is immensely important to lead our heart because it will ultimately lead our future. I must learn to lead my own heart because my own heart is going to eventually determine my future. You say my future isn't determined by out, uh, external circumstances and situations. There is an effect on our future. Yes, the things we go through, the circumstances we're living in. But the number one thing that determines your future and my future is the condition of our heart. It will determine the course that we take in life. So, I really thought and prayed a lot about this one, you guys. If I thought and prayed a lot about all these messages, I did about this one the most, okay? And I, I want to talk to you about, these are certainly, this is not an exhaustive list. I already thought of two more while in praise and worship this morning, but we can't give the whole list. I'm going to give you five things, all right, that we need to keep out of our heart and five things that we need to keep in. Five things that the gate is wide open to. And five things that we need to shut our heart as tight as we can to keep it out. Come on, say, keep out. Keep, out. keep, in. keep in. There's some things we got to keep out, and there's some things we got to keep in. These things will have a greater impact on your future than any circumstance. Regardless of everybody's different circumstances that we're all going to go through, different situations and circumstances in life. Regardless of the differences in situations and circumstances, these five things will have a greater impact than any situation or circumstance could ever have on your life. Okay? These are the five things. And I, you say, where do you come up with these things? Well, from the Bible. But, okay, number one, my own personal struggles. I got a lot of from there. Come on, somebody. Number two, 21 years of ministry. You counsel a lot of people. You disciple people. You realize what people are going through and why their life is the way it is. Okay? And so it comes from, um, we're going to see tons of scriptures, but we're going to go quick with the scriptures, okay? Because I'm going to get through all five. But a lot of this has come from simply observing people screw up their future. Are you ready? Come on. Now, as I get into these, some of you are going to not identify with a couple of them. Some of you are going to identify really strongly with one or two. I want you to listen to all of them to make sure we're keeping these things out of our heart and keeping these things in our heart. And the ones that really hit home, you run with it and get it fixed in Jesus' name, okay? All right, five things we're going to keep out and five things we're going to keep in. The first one is... We are going to keep bitterness out, and we are going to keep forgiveness in. Bitterness out, forgiveness in. Number one, what is bitterness? Bitterness is resentment. 
unforgiveness, an offended or easily offendable spirit. It, bitterness isn't just you got offended about something. Bitterness is when you hold on to the, fence, uh, the offense and you don't let go of it. You, a person who is bitter is someone who holds offenses on the inside. Okay? What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is the exact opposite. Forgiveness is letting go of offenses. Right? By the way, when you forgive somebody, does that mean they were right? No. They may have been right or wrong. That's beside the point. Forgiveness is my decision to release something out of my spirit and no longer hold on to it because if I hold on to it, it'll make me bitter. What's the difference between being offended and being offendable, easily offendable? Jesus said we're all going to be offended, right? I mean, offenses are, are, are inevitable. But to be easily offendable means that you get offended real easy. And you let offenses pile up. And then you see everything through the lens of offense. That's called bitterness. Okay? So, Hebrews 12, 15 says something that should put the fear of God in all of us. It sure does in me. Look out. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Did you know you can fail to receive the grace that is available? It's not because God doesn't want us to receive grace. It's because it's right there, but we fail to do what's necessary to receive it. It says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Come on, say bitterness, poisonous, trouble. Corruption. Yee. Okay, let, let me give you the contrary to that. Proverbs 17, 9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Bitterness destroys relationships. Bitterness destroys marriages. Bitterness destroys sibling Relationships. Bitterness destroys friendship. Bitterness destroys church families. And it causes us many troubles, the word says. Allowing bitterness to dwell in my heart will cause me not a little bit, but a lot of trouble in life. You want to have a troubled heart, a troubled soul, and therefore a troubled life and a troubled future? Let bitterness in. Hold on to resentment. But when, and not only that, it doesn't just say, let's go back to the Hebrews one. It doesn't just say that it causes me trouble. It says it can corrupt many. You ever been around a bitter person and all of a sudden you're bitter too? You let their bitterness get in you? You begin to hear their offenses and all of a sudden their offenses became your offenses too. And now you're offended with the person they're offended with because they didn't even do nothing to you. But you're offended too because you're, they, come on. That is poison. And it will cause us trouble and it can corrupt many. But forgiveness, which is letting go of offenses, causes loving relationships to prosper. 
not just to be okay, but to thrive, right? Forgiveness. If you have a relationship with any human being, there will need to be, there will be the need for forgiveness. Hello? I know that people that are in in relationship with me need to forgive me and I need to forgive them because that's just the way it is. If you have a friend that you've never had to forgive, I would doubt that friendship. You don't know the real person yet. (laughs) You shall. (laughs) We have to decide. I'm going to not allow bitterness in. I'm going to keep it out. The gate of my heart is shut to that. And I am going to allow forgiveness to live in my heart so that my relationships can thrive and prosper. Now, only you can decide which to allow in your heart. Only you. Can nobody make you bitter or forgiving? Only you can decide. Now, turn to your neighbor, and I'm telling you this time, you got to really tell them, choose the better option. I'm going to make you all say that five times just so you know. All right. Number two, we, number two, are you ready for number two? We must keep deception out and we must keep truth in. What is deception? Deception is any idea or attitude contrary to God's word and God's spirit. Any idea or attitude that is contrary to God's word and God's spirit. What is truth? Truth are all the ideas and attitudes that agree with God's word and God's spirit. Okay? The Bible says in Psalm 119, what is truth? Add all the words of God together. That is truth. The sum of your word is truth. All right? And we know the Holy Spirit. We learned about it last Sunday. He's the spirit of truth. He's the truth-giving spirit. So there's no need to be deceived, but boy, don't we get deceived sometimes. It's not because we have to. It's because the gate is open to the wrong thing. we got to keep deception out. Now, Jeremiah 17, 9 says another thing that should put the fear of God in us. It says that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It is desperately wicked. Who knows how bad it is? It's bad. <laughs> So let me get rid of a deception that many have may embrace. Just follow your heart. If you follow your heart, if I follow my own heart, I will be following after deceit and wickedness. No, no, no. Colossians 2, 3, 4, uh, 2, 3 and 4, and then verse 8 says, In him, that is Christ, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus, right? I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. And you know who often crafts those arguments? I do. I don't even need your help most of the time. It says, don't let anyone capture you. It's like a trap. It's a cage. With empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of the world, a.k.a. demons, rather than from Christ. Remember the origin of deception. Careful. The origin of deception was the serpent 
which literally means, literally translated from the original language, it's not just a snake, it literally means the shiny one. Okay? The shiny one. Was he an actual snake animal or not? I don't know, and it doesn't matter. But he was the shiny one, and he was compared with the serpent, right? And it says, read it closely, they didn't bite an apple or a pomegranate. They bit this, the knowledge of good and evil, which literally means I decide rather than God what is right and wrong. Okay? That's what deceit is. That's what deception is. Okay? Now, that's the origin of deception. And remember its result? The result of deception? Separation from God? Like, the result of deception is every terrible thing that we live today and that we see in the world today. That's the result of deception. Okay? So... The human heart is deceitful as it is. So we should just never, we don't ever should just trust what we feel, right? Deception, it says it captures us. You ever believe something and you believed it was true, but it really wasn't true and you're like captured in it. You're caught, you're trapped. And then all of a sudden one day you realize that's not true, this is true and you're free, right? Well, I've experienced that many times. So Jesus said truth sets us free. Deception captures us. Truth sets us free, right? In fact, John uh, 8, uh, 31 and 32, Jesus said to all the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. By the way, the only way to be truly free is to follow Jesus. The only way to truly know the truth is to follow Jesus. Truth doesn't come from books except the book. And truth doesn't come from philosophy and high-sounding nonsense, right? Like the, the Word says, it comes from the Word of God, who is Jesus, the living Word of God. It comes from your relationship with Jesus and His Word. Truth comes from following Jesus, and it brings freedom. And only you can decide which you're going to let in your heart, deception or truth. Now go ahead and turn to somebody again and tell them, choose the right option. Number three. We want to keep despair out, and we want to keep hope in. Keep despair out, and we want to keep hope in. What is despair? It is the loss of all positive expectations. I've been there. I don't know about you. When you just feel hopeless, despair. No expectation of anything good or positive, right? What is hope? We talked a whole like series about this, right? Hope literally just basically says this. Something good can still happen. Right? Something good can still happen. It's the opposite of despair. Despair is I expect nothing good. Hope is I believe something good can still happen. Right? Uh, Psalm 43 verse 5. This is the amplified version says, "Why are you in despair, O my soul?" Sounds like somebody's talking to himself, because they are, okay? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you restless and disturbed within me? Hope in God and wait expectantly for him, for I shall praise him, the help of my sad countenance and my God. 
Now, I'm not going to go real deep into this one because we need to get to four and five. But unattended, come on, are y'all with me? Unattended despair. You may feel hopeless every once in a while, but it better just be for a moment. Okay? Because unattended despair will literally rob you of your future. If you expect nothing good and nothing positive, you will do nothing. We'll sit there just like the psalm. My world is caved in. There's nothing left for me. It's all over. No one loves me. Everybody hates me. I should just eat a worm. I don't know if that's the words in English to that song, but it's a silly song of what it feels like to be in despair, right? I don't have any positive expectation. Let me tell you, you got to get it back. You got to get hope back because hope will propel you into the future. Hope will let you know there is still something ahead that I've got to go after. And I'm not going to just sit here and wait to die. Amen. Keep despair out. Keep hope in. Number four, we got to keep pride out. We got to keep humility in. Very simply, pride means this. I lift myself up and insist on my own way. That's what it means to be prideful. I lift myself up, my desires, my ideas, what I want, the way I think things should be, and I insist on my own way. That's pride. Humility is the opposite. It says, I, humility says, I lay me down. Right? I lay me down. I lay myself down in my ways, and instead I insist on God's way. That's what it means to be humble. Now, James 4, 6 says something, another one. Man, what scriptures today that should just, should be propelling us into the future. It says, and he gives grace generously. Thank God his grace isn't, isn't just a little bit. He gives grace generously, right? There's more than enough grace, but it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Come on, somebody. I need, I need somebody to help me. Well, maybe, maybe Alex. Come on, Alex. Okay. You're slightly skinnier than I, so this is going to work. All right. In this example, as terrible as it may be, I'm God. This is Alex's future. Try to go. But, 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 but today, Alex is prideful. He's full of himself, and he insists on his own way. Try to get to your future. It, don't be ugly. Okay. okay. <laughs> you normally won't be laughing when you do that, but okay. But Alex repents and decides, I'm going to let go of my own ways and my own expectations the way I think things should be. I'm going to lay me down and I'm going to insist on God and letting him have his way. Now go to your future. Now go to your future. Come on. Now go to your future. Yes. Hallelujah. All right. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I feel like... Have you ever felt like God just seems to be against me? Well, he's not against you, but he very well may be pressing against you. 
His heart is not against you. His heart is always for you. But he will be against our attitude sometimes. And he will most definitely push back on us and oppose us when it's necessary. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be pushed forward by God than to be pushed back. I'd rather be helped than opposed. Pride will literally cause God to hold you back from your future. And as long as I insist on my way, God will insist on opposing me. Mm. I need to get on my knees and repent right now. Jesus. But humility will cause God to do exactly the opposite. He will enable you and push you towards your future. I've said this to so many young men that I've discipled that have been raised up as leaders. Humility will take you further than anything else. Really. It really will. It'll, humility will take you further than talent. <laughs> humility will take you further than the right connections. Humility, laying me down and letting God have his way, will literally cause God to impulse me into his future for me. Only you can decide which one of these you allow in your heart. Come on, one more time. Tell your neighbor, choose the better option. All right. Number five, and we'll be done. Keep fear out and keep love in. So how could those be opposites? They're not actually opposites, but they produce opposite results. Okay? Keep fear out and keep love in. Because fear says this. I, ha I dread and have anxiety concerning the future. I dread the future. I feel anxious about the future. I don't even want to know. I dread it, right? Oh, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what? Come on. I, has anybody besides me been there? I was there this week. Have you ever felt fear come and just go, hey? <gasps> right? Fear makes me dread what might come. To be anxious about what might happen. It ain't even happened yet, but I'm already anxious about it. <laughs> but love says, I will rest and trust concerning the future. I will, let me say that the other way around. I will trust and therefore rest concerning the future. By the way, the future hasn't happened yet. You don't even know what's going to happen. This is where despair comes in. Sometimes we have already accepted that a bad thing is going to happen rather than hoping that maybe something good might actually happen. And so I fear it. I dread it. I have anx I'm anxious about it. But hope says a lot of things could happen. But whatever does happen, I have a God who holds me in the palm of his hand and he loves me with a perfect everlasting love and he will carry me through it no matter what it is. Good things are going to happen and not so good things are going to happen. And in the midst of all the good and in the midst of all the not so good, he will carry me through. I trust him. I trust him. He'll be good to me even when things aren't going good. Romans 8.15, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Because fear is a slave driver. It'll hold you captive. 
Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father, which means Daddy, right? He's not just Father. He's Daddy. In 1 John 4, 16 through 18, we know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such Love, what love? The one we talked about last Sunday, agape, his perfect love, right? That love has no fear because perfect love, it says it expels all fear. doesn't say fear wasn't there. It doesn't say fear didn't come knocking. It says his love expels it. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we haven't fully experienced his perfect love. And some of us today, we need to let God's love flood our hearts So that we can be free from fear. This is the last thing and we're going to be done. When we allow fear to fill our hearts, we can't truly enjoy life. (laughs) When I allow fear to fill my heart, I'm not enjoying life. I'm dreading life. Because we operate in anxiety mode. And let me tell you. Never in my life. I'm 38 years old, okay? For the first 20 years, I didn't see this. And I asked my parents about it and other people older than me, and they're like, no, it didn't used to be this way. All of a sudden, over the past 20 years, there's this huge uprising of anxiety. I mean, we even call it anxiety attacks and all this kind of stuff, right? Did you know that didn't exist, like, generations ago? Not that there wasn't fear and anxiety, but it wasn't the same, It's like fear and anxiety has taken a grip on a whole generation of people. And the only cure for it is the love of God. The love of God. I'm telling you, I think there's a lot of anxiety because there is a lot to fear. Bad things are happening. Don't turn on the news. Okay? There's a lot of things we could have anxiety about. But the cure is the love of God. It's the only cure. To know that whatever come, come what may, it is well with my soul. Because my soul is loved with a perfect love by a perfect father who will carry me through the good and the bad and the ugly. I don't have to fear the future because he's my future. And he holds my future in the palm of his hands. When we're in anxiety mode, we dread because we can't control what's coming. You can't control it. The people that deal with the most anxiety are are control, let's just say control freaks. Okay. People that are controlling and like to control everything are the people with the most anxiety because guess what? You can try all you want to control people and control situations, and tomorrow you cannot determine what's going to happen or what people are going to do. As hard as you try to control, you can't control. As hard as you try to grip and have control of things, it is out of your hand. When we let love, the love of God, fill our hearts, we can trust that God will be with us, lead us, defend us, carry us into and through the future 
no matter what it may hold. Zephaniah 3.17 says, I don't think we have this one, so just jot it down. Zephaniah 3.17. says, Zephaniah, is that even a book? Yeah, it's a really little one. Okay. A really little and a really good one. With his love, he will calm all your fears. With his love, he will calm all your fears. Come on, let me say this. You ready? The future won't be good because everything will be good. The future will be good because God's love will carry me through every season. So let your soul rest in his love for you. Only you and only I can choose which one. Bitterness or forgiveness, deception or truth, despair or hope, pride or humility, fear or love. Only you and I, only each one of us can determine which one we let in, which one we let dwell in our hearts. We've got to choose the better option. Because you are creating your future by what you allow in your heart. I am determining the very course of my life by what I allow to be in my heart. I am making something my leader by whatever I allow in my heart. The most important thing that you want to keep in your heart is your relationship with God. This is a life or death one. Some of these things I've spoken about can make your life better or make your life worse, but there is one that is life or death. That is, are you following Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Him? Or don't you? Which one is in your heart? I didn't say religion. I didn't say, do you come to church or not? Do you have in your heart, only you know, only each one of us knows our own heart with the Spirit of God on the inside of us. Do you have, are you in relationship with Almighty God or not? That's life or death. If you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes for a moment. I right now I'd normally make you stand up, but I'm not going to do that right now.